Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Just try to breathe. I, I, I can't. You're kneeling on my balls. Oh, Rick, listen. With great power comes, comes. Great responsibility. I, I was going to stick with bitches, but if you want to be a virgin for the rest of your life, oh, Glaubert, my balls. No foolish heroics, if you please. Is Dark Man. They destroyed everything he had. All that he loved. Everything that he was. Now. Crime has a new enemy, and justice has a brand new face. I was afraid that you wouldn't want me anymore. Of course I still want you. The good news is that I know who's behind our little troubles of late. Finish it. He has the power to look like any man. This two are both sons of witches! But he is unlike any man. I gotta tell you something about me. He's a cockroach. Think you're killing? And he pops up someplace else. In the darkest hour. Julie, who's the real monster here? There's a light that shines on every human being. But one. From director Sam Raimi. Dark Man. Sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You're under arrest. No, it wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. All right, I confess. I did it, you hear? And I'm glad. God, I tell you! What are they gonna do to me, Sarge? What are they gonna do? Sorry, son. That's not my department. Two. One. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting superhero month episode mm -hmm. on Inside Movies Galore. Um, we are uh, about to uh, uh, go on another uh, 
physical journey discussion into some shadowy realms. <laughs> well, not exactly that uh, that movie. Um, so, um, I guess uh, I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, we're going to be going on about the 1990 film Dark Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead with the IMDb. Uh, Sam film. Very important distinction. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, Sam Raimi, he, he couldn't get the rights for, um, uh, for The Shadow, uh, in fact. Um, it, it, so he ended up getting... Uh, the rights to do a Hollywood superhero film of his own. Um, and uh, so I'm just going to, uh, before Dustin gets back, I'm just going to do a small, uh, it, uh, let's see, bio here. So a brilliant scientist left for dead returns to exact revenge on the people who burned him alive. Oh, <laughs> Dustin, are you here yet? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Coming out from the shadows is Dark Man's uh, apprentice. Ah. <laughs> Actually, I think it was like Mel that suggested this one, wasn't it? <laughs> I believe it was. All right. Good choice. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're already demonetized. Well, um, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about this film, Mo, then? Uh, well, as you already said, you know, Sam Raimi's movie that he did when he couldn't get the rights to Shadow and Batman, so he just kind of took elements of them and little little seasoning of, like, Universal Monsters era stuff and threw it together mm-hmm. and did his own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be forgiven for just thinking of it as kind of, you know, remixed The Shadow, because that is, in a, set, in a sense, what he did, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was directed by Sam Raimi, it's produced by Rob Tappert. It's got a screenplay by Sam Raimi and all sorts of dudes with uncredited help oh, from the Coen Brothers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was like 12 versions of the script to this bitch, and <laughs> tell at different points. Uh it obviously stars Liam Neeson, uh, Francis mm-hmm. McDormand, and Larry Drake. It's got music by Danny Elfman. It was released on Oct- or, excuse me, August 24th, 1990. Uh, I selected this because I just used to rent the shit out of it as a kid. Uh, I think that you know this and Batman and The Shadow are probably my favorite superhero films. They'd definitely still be on a short list of my favorites to this day. Mm-hmm. So. I guess, uh, what was your guys' first impression of this? You know, was it your first time watching it? Uh, did you enjoy it? I guess we'll start with uh, you, Dustin. Uh, well, um, I first saw this movie, so, slight confession, I didn't have time to watch it today, but I saw this movie four times in a row, like, three months ago. So, we're going yeah, off on that. Good. We're going off our memory. <laughs> it was it was watching all the commentaries on the Shut Factory Blu-ray, and so at first, like I knew about Darkman, but I didn't really know what to expect. 
And I've, I found this to be a pretty good movie, so I really enjoyed it. You can see the beginnings of the techniques Raimi would use in Spider-Man. And so it just felt like mm -hmm. a real, it just felt like a, it felt like a prototype. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of my overall impression of it. Like, it felt like a prototype. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, the story is cool. It's, it's there. And we're going to see this blown up into something else with a different character. Mm. Which, uh, Raimi's Spider-Man does remind me a lot of Darkman. And I wonder if he got to mm -hmm. do Spider-Man because of Darkman. Sure I feel like he had to have had something to do with it down the road. Well, that and also Evil Dead and, you know, because, um, I mean, it shouldn't be discounted that this film, yeah, I think it did lay the groundwork for much of what would appear in Spider-Man, but also we wouldn't have this without all the pioneering work he'd already done with Evil Dead 1 and 2, and that he would later on do with Army of Darkness and pretty all that Evil stuff. Dead-esque effects when his hand fell yeah. in that one part. In all, honesty, in all honesty, though, it was probably also his uh, doing more studio-friendly with big star fare like The Gift and For Love of the Game that probably helped the studios go, yeah, we can let this guy do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, my my take on this is I, I actually owned these on VHS at one point at a time. Um, I had evidently gotten them as hand-me-downs from a friend of mine at the uh, time, and I absolutely enjoyed the series of films uh, at the time. Um, I thought that Durant was an interesting character. Uh, and I know, I know him from another film called Dr. Giggle. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Doctor Giggles. Giggles. Yeah, he was in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow too. <laughs> so um, he is definitely an interesting character. Character, but uh, rest in peace. He he did pass away a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So, uh, um, but um, I, I I relatively enjoyed him as a a, a villain. I mean, oh, he's the only one that I remember. Actually, uh, uh, cringing at the fact that, uh, that he had this fucking cigar cutter and he was yeah. he had this co collection of uh, yeah. fingers from all his victims that he had uh, uh, like who could I add to my next you know uh, yeah. thing so uh, but I I definitely would not have gone with returning to Durant right offhand if I were a director though I would I would have saved him for like the third film but other than that um i i enjoyed the ser uh, series and th this particular film was actually relatively darker than the other two so uh, in comparison and this predated the sh uh, the shadow from 1994 with alec baldwin so i think uh, i think that uh, this laid the groundwork for what alec baldwin could do in that film as well so yeah, like the, it, he either couldn't get the rights, I'm sure, because they were starting to build that project, or you know this led to it happening because they're he like, was well, actually shit, denied him, and he did a successful movie he, with the shadow esque character. So he was actually supposedly working on a script that included Doc Savage and uh, one other character. I was reading up on it a little bit. Uh, That's um, interesting, and. Uh, 
let's see. Uh, I think Doc Savage and one other, but uh, but I can't think of it, it right offhand. But it, it 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 got grounded because he couldn't get the rights uh, for it. Mm-hmm. He actually had like like several scripts already for the uh, for the shadow. Uh, it, it, it was just denied to him. So, mm-hmm. but uh, in any case, anyone else want to add their thoughts? Uh, so. My first uh, impression with this, actually, I got my first impression of this not long after it came out. I didn't see it. Uh, I didn't see it until I was able to get it more on home video watching, uh, like literally home video. I think I rented this at Blockbuster. Well, not Blockbuster. Whatever the rental star was of where I was at at the time, and I really liked it as a superhero movie. Uh, it kind of had. All of it reminded me, and it still does, of a combination of some of the old serials, like the old Shadow, like mm-hmm. some of these, combined with uh, Tim Burton's Batman. And uh, I, I was just eating it up. I just, I kind of love that vibes. It kind of takes the old kind of gritty, uh, noir-esque superheroes of uh, of those times, and brings them into the present with kind of a, a more of a uh, more of a modern reboot. So, I, well, modern being a relative term. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it, to me, it was just really fun to revisit this again. I had get when I got it in the collection, I had to get like the three, the trilogy, and rewatch the whole trilogy because it just uh, it was just exciting. So, I had to I had to just get back there and just watch all of them, even though even though you didn't have Lem Neeson for the other two movies. It was still fun. Yeah, the only. I think this is the only superhero film that I can think of where a man has actually, besides Deadpool, who has been uh, uh, seriously burned beyond belief. Uh, you know, and I think uh, Deadpool was burned. Uh, uh, be, uh, be, uh, the thing is that wasn't it oh, like was he, cancer? Well, yeah. yeah. It was him. Feeling factor out of control. Yes, yes. And if you're talking about characters or main characters, because definitely Dark featured character. Main character. Main character. Yeah. Okay. But because I know that there have been several characters in comic book history that have been burned beyond belief. Right. But it's a good example of like you know something that was an original property too that kind of was yeah. a minor sensation in its own way. I mean, Dark Man spawned action figures, comic books, pretty goddamn great oh, yeah. NES game. I mean, yeah. two direct sequels, you know. Uh, so, so think, oh, go ahead, bud. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut into your... I was just going to continue with the first impressions, I guess, if they're... Oh, yeah, yeah. Have at it, bud. I have kind of an odd one with this one. First of all, as I mentioned in the Shazam discussion, this was another property that did not catch my interest prior to its release. Part of that is this came out the same year, within a matter of months, of Dick Tracy, which was another comic book-flavored movie. And that one really was more my speed at the time. I was a huge Dick Tracy fan. And I saw that movie in theaters. It's probably the first live-action movie I saw in theaters. And this one just kind of fell by the wayside. I knew of it, but I just wasn't interested. And over the years, I kind of vacillated between being 
curious and not curious. And I don't really know why I never got more curious about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of just was there. You know, I knew of it. And then um, when it was just brought up for this discussion, all of a sudden I was like, holy crap, I never saw this movie. <laughs> and I really liked the edition. Uh, Shout has a pretty badass special edition. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to get the movie. And I'm going to, you know. And I really, really wanted, really wanted to take some time and really enjoy this movie. But unfortunately, life got in the way. I barely got through a few of the special features. I did watch a couple. And the movie itself, I put on last night after our discussion, and we ran so late. I Honestly, I fell asleep for part of it. So uh, there's probably 20 minutes I didn't see. But... What I saw, I really enjoyed. I just, I need to watch it when I'm fully awake. And I wanted to watch the commentary, and there was no time for it. But from what I've seen, it's a very interesting movie, very original. I do agree with Brandon's concept that it has flavors of Tim Burton Batman. Uh, as I said before, it does have a little bit of a Dick Tracy flavor to it, too. Um, and I can definitely see... Sam Raimi has certain eccentricities as a director that are usually toned down, but they really got to run rampant in the Evil Dead movies, and they got a little bit of a play in Spider-Man 2 and a little bit in The Gift. And this movie, I think, shows those tendencies, the weird cam camera angles and all that kind of stuff. And knowing those flashback scenes that yes. you have. <laughs> and knowing that the Collins were involved a little bit. I wish I'd known they were actually in the film. They actually have a cameo, and I didn't catch it when that happened. But uh, that was when you were asleep. <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> but uh, I did, and I did, I kind of recognized Sam's brother, Ted plays one of the characters, and I kind of recognize him. And what's um, interesting is... He's kind of everywhere. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is, uh, at, at around this point, um, mm -hmm. the Hercules and Xena series were going on. So you get yeah. different characters from the Hercules uh, series and the Xena series mm -hmm. uh, that was... Uh, specifically the Xena series, I think. The, uh, uh, where they show up in the Darkman uh, films, you've got um, yeah. one of the uh, one of the uh, one of the villains' uh, 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 characters. He gets puppeteered around in a, su a, su a sewer. I think that's Ted Raimi. No, Ted Raimi plays the um, he plays the uh, the really skinny, scrawny, curly haired guy that works with Durant. He's Correct. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, but Later on, um, Dark Man actually goes uh, after uh, after the the people who um, destroyed it, it basically destroyed his life, right. and he uh, he basically br uh, brings uh, uh, Ted Raimi's character up uh, from the yeah, sewer, and his head is above the ground, oh, yeah, and yeah, he yeah. his head off as the traffic goes, and then he gets smacked and yeah. splattered. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was a rough way to go. <laughs> oh yeah, but you could definitely see uh, see that uh, uh, it was almost like there was a dummy there being like 
Yeah. Well, two great TV connections here. Neil McDonough is currently my favorite character to show up on any season of Arrow. Damien Dark was such a great character. Neil McDonough has a very, very small role in this. And, of course, Raimi frequent collaborator Bruce Campbell. Apparently, Raimi fought for him for the movie, and the studio wouldn't go for it. So he ended up having that one brief cameo at the end. And, of course, Campbell is in one of the greatest TV shows of all time, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. So, mm-hmm. so uh, and a couple good TV connections there. But this is one of Rain. and we'll get into some of that later, but Rainey has had a long history of fighting with studios, and unfortunately hasn't always gone well, but... <laughs> But anyway, who still needs to do the Ah, yeah. Okay. I uh, saw this film back in college for the first time. I think I saw it on VHS. I rented it from the Media Resource Center. Um, and I was one of the few people that actually rented VHS tapes there because I actually had a VCR uh, there as well. has a uh, you know DVD and Blu-ray player. But um, saw it and... Um, you know, I think that it definitely has its appeal. I, at the time, I remembered, you know, thinking that, you know, I was like, well, you know, were these people, like, the best casting choices uh, for these roles? But um, I can see why it has a cult appeal, um, and I appreciate that it's an original premise with a neat um, device to it as far as, like, mm-hmm. the, the time limit for when the artificial skin will eventually disintegrate. Um, And uh, that's a great ticking clock. It's a unique idea. Kind of reminds me a little bit of some versions of Clayface a little bit. Um, And um, the, uh, I think that the fact that it does make him lose his grip on reality and also um, it does um, allow him to like, disguise himself. I mean, he has a pretty unique um, set of powers, I think, and certain unique uh, abilities, but also, um, you know, I think that you definitely do get that kind of tragic monster aspect of of the character as well, and certainly was a good uh, basis on which to carry a character. I just sort of wish that he had you know, gotten a little bit more than perhaps a cult following, because uh, I do think that he's has a good basis on which to build more things, and they do have the two sequels, the two direct video sequels or whatever, but, you know, like, it, out of all the movies, like, this actually could be due for a remake, and, um, you know, something that could um, kind of take the basic concept and expand upon it, and you know, make it really stylish and, you know, um, I, I could see it and I could see it kind of going all the way with certain aspects of the original or, you know, especially these days where we're thinking about our bodies far more than, uh, you know, we ever were in the past for obvious mm-hmm. reasons and thinking about, um, especially these days where we're able to 3D print all kinds of inanimate objects and you know that the next frontier of that's going to be 3d printing organic tissue it's like well you know there's um 
there, there's we your already your, do it, yeah. Yeah, well, there's yeah, your modern right. angle right there. Yeah. And also, um, this is interesting. One of the interesting things about watching this was seeing Liam Neeson when he was so young. <laughs> <laughs> like now he's like the action star. So Which, it would be really, really cool to see him revisit the role. I haven't yeah. seen this before, so I don't know how that plays out, but. I would love to see him revisit the role as an older yeah, take on the character. That still, to me, never made a lot of sense as far as, like, um, Liam Neeson, action star, and obviously Taken really did kind of right. kick off his career in a different direction because, like, when I was mm -hmm. growing up, he was Qui-Gon Jinn, and, you know, he was the wise mentor figure, uh, you know, he, there was Aslan in the uh, Chronicles of Narnia and stuff, so that was his, you know, role in It wasn't just that, because, like, for example, he uh, did an amazing job in one of my uh, favorite, very underrated dramas called uh, Kinsey, where he played Alfred Kinsey, yeah, and um, he did an amazing well, job in and that. And he also played the, the voice... He also played the voice uh, of the monster in the somewhat anthology, A Monster Calls, as well. And that was so a good one, too. That was an interesting Very good. Yeah, so I just, I always found that odd that he then became, like, this action star, and it's like, for whatever reason, like, that doesn't compute in my brain, and I think that was part of um, what the... Uh, he must have seen one all night. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet, but um, that did, uh, well, it did, uh, it did, was it, no, I hadn't seen Taken, I still haven't, but, like, the, when I saw it, I was, that was still kind of incongruous in my head, and, like, it's just kind of weird that so many um, younger people will know him as an action star, and I'm like, well, that's not who I know, but, um, you know, so, like, when I was watching, I was like, well, this is from you know, much long, long, long before Taken, but, um, right. you know, the, uh, in a way I was like, well, was he and uh, was uh, Francis McDormand, were they the um, ideal choices for these roles? Uh, because I was kind of basing it off of their other work, but uh, mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, maybe one shouldn't, you know, pigeonhole people, because I don't like it when people do that. I think that Liam Neeson was right for the role at the time. Uh, he had the voice yeah. for it, um, and right at that moment in time, he was a pivotal actor on the acting scene. Uh, I mean, I I'd seen him a little bit younger in High Spirits in 1986, and uh, he, he played a, uh, a ghost in a recurring murder ro role, and so to me, uh, to me I've seen him uh, play... D uh, different roles, and I thought this was a very different role for uh, for him, especially underneath all that makeup and all that uh, that jazz, having to deal with uh, uh, looking like Two Face, you know. Plus, so. he just he looked sad. Yeah, you know, he just he looked sad. Like he, I don't know if there's another actor. There's maybe a couple, but there's so few actors who are so good at portraying that sense of like immense sadness and that i think that's perfect for this role <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, was... 
Amazing. Take as it. far as Frances McDermott, uh, I'm not sure that she was entirely right for the role. Because at, at the time when I saw, I saw this, I, I actually thought that she was actually relatively pretty. Uh, uh, but, uh, but now, seeing her, uh, seeing her in the role as an adult, I actually see some of her age. So, uh, so um, maybe she may, may not have been entirely right for the role, but she got well, the emotions she, down. She's a big wrench in the gears of it, though, for sure. Like, she yeah, was very... Good. Apparently, C and Sam Raimi did not see eye to eye on the character, yeah. and that kind of shows a little bit. She's yeah, kind of aloof in that. Liam Neeson rewrote a lot of their shit together, yeah. I guess, and that shows too because that's that is the huge like chink in the armor of Dark Man is just the yeah. the chemistry between them is not, it's not there. Kind of, to put it politely, uh, yeah, that's yeah. That, that's something that really held back my ability to like fully love the movie is that I did not necessarily feel like the roles were as cast as well as they could have been. The chemistry wasn't there. Uh, there was some tonal well, yeah, strangeness. When you ask for someone to, uh, to marry you, you don't expect to uh, say, well, I gotta think about it. Well, the, you know? the idea of her being kind of aloof, um, but I do think the uh, there were a couple of weird one. She is a brilliant actress. I give her that. I think she's excellent in most films. Oh, yeah. But the other the other thing is though that the weird part of it is she is and has been for decades now married to Joel Cohen. She and the Cohens and uh, Sam Raimi and Ted Raimi and all they're all buds. They're like really close. Yeah, you would kind of think they could work really well together on a movie, but apparently not. Dude, I think this <laughs> yeah. is the case for using that relationship to flex on poor Sam a little bit because he he looked back at it like it was a bit difficult, and she's yeah. so proud of it. I guess all those fucking rewrites they did. Yeah, uh, well, it's, you know that's point, too, the isn't that what happens? Good. Uh, isn't that what happens when you uh, you know work with people who are basically like family to you that like you can be kind of too close to the situation? Right. Uh, you know, long, I guess if she's proud of it, though, that's that's right. cool. Uh, the lack of chemistry, though, is to the point in the movie where Julie's really not needed. Like the the most enjoyment she brings me in the film is just hearing him yell Julie. I just like, <laughs> <laughs> actually, though, I think that the way they set this up with the character. I really liked how they did it because they set this up for the perfect continuation. Mm -hmm. You can continue this character with as many different actors and romantic possibilities mm -hmm. as possible because he's a master of disguise. He's lost his identity. So mm -hmm. when they... It, it's one of the few times that I could safely say when I went from this mm -hmm. to the sequels that I wasn't having like a like a jerkish like uh, traumatic reaction of oh, this is a new character I have to adjust. Right. It's not because this guy is this guy has no identity. That's the problem. He's lost and, almost all of it. And it does set up almost a perfect FU to the studio because you know they told him you can't have Bruce Campbell. He no, he's not right for the role. You can't have him. So what do they do? The last shot, he's Bruce Campbell. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> 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 the James Bond thing, 
just kept making these all the way till now. You know, we could be sitting on like the twentieth Darkman movie if if they had taken off and you know. Well, exactly. And Sam Raimi and uh, Rob Tapper, uh, one of the other producers on the mm-hmm. Darkman film. Mm-hmm. Both of them actually di- uh, did uh, produce behind uh, the following two films as well. I, I noticed that they uh, pretty much endorsed the two films. So mm-hmm. I-, I-, I do like the fact that uh, that it seems like the 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 sequels were welcome. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. So. All right. But yeah, but, one one thing that is interesting. You're talking about the acting and whatever. Um, there are different levels of acting in the film. Like the opening sequence where you see this guy who's like an established crime boss and he's ready, and he's ready to defend his turf at all costs and Durant and his boys roll up in there and do their thing. And it's really overacted. Except yes. the guy playing Durant is a job. He really does. Excellent. He did a great job, but it really is kind of over the top, but Larry Drake is the guy who plays Durant. Um, But it was very, very, very well done uh, because it kind of sets that tone of this is definitely, this is a comic book movie. This is a uh, this is a uh, we're going to have some serious high um, what do I want to say like some over the top characters here but they're not all like I, I did watch the feature where Drake talked about his approach to Durant and he said that he intentionally played him as a not so much a, he's like I don't like the twirling mustache it bores me but he's like I play him basically as this is the most efficient approach. And I like the idea of villainy through efficiency, if you will. You know, it's like, it's 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 really good for that character. But yeah, well, there's, yeah. there's a great moment where you're introduced to the finger cutting. And that's the part where the mob boss is like, he makes all these points, like point one, point two, whatever. And then Durant has annihilated his men. And he's like, now let's consider my points, one by one. One, I try not to let my anger get the better of me. Cuts off a finger. Two, I don't always succeed. Cuts off another one. Three, I've got seven more points. <laughs> I'd have probably voted as eight. Literally the sadist in in this film. I mean, he yes. he literally pulled it off to a T, and he was going overboard. Uh, mm-hmm. And I loved it. I, I mean, it, it was just if you wanted to go up yeah. against a villain, you right. didn't want to face this guy. Right? No. Overboard was his nasty villain, yeah. Overboard were one, his henchman who was hopping around because his sacred leg was gone, and two, the one who's maniacally laughing as he's mowing everyone down with the leg. (laughs) It's great. Like you said, it sets the tone perfect, and then it it also shows like the campiness of the comic book vibe, but then it is pretty finished. The other thing that I noticed uh, about Darkman himself is did you notice that every time he got angry 
Yeah. It's when he went into that super strength mode and that adrenaline kick. kick, kick. Oh, yeah. That, that, reminds me, that, that reminds me of the Hulk. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you didn't like him when he's angry. <laughs> well, yeah. The unlimited adrenaline rush. Yeah. The, doctor, the doctor explains it in a nice little exposition scene where the doctor talks about how she basically severed the pain receptors, basically. So he feels no pain. And, but but the side effect is that he's more emotional. The anger, yeah, yeah, so, it goes into all the other stuff, and his adrenaline isn't like limited, you know. Well, and also, uh, it reminds me of the villain in uh, the world's not enough, where he had like that whatever that was, that bullet wound in his brain or whatever. Like, yeah, was, uh, which I mean, the thing is, like, they acted like that was some kind of superpower, except that in real life, that would be horrible because. You know, you could be bleeding profusely and you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, pain is there for a reason. Yeah. It's to let your body know whatever It's just to let you know whatever you're doing, stop it, you know? There is one other character that I remember that had a similarity. Uh, I don't know if anyone uh, of you knows the television show Haven. Uh, oh, that was Haven. Uh, no, uh, no. Which was... Uh, based on Stephen King, or was a Stephen King thing that was on Sci-Fi mm-hmm. Channel for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, no, uh, the police, uh, the the main detective guy, uh, he got a, a a an ability to not feel pain at all. The other uh, one I was going to talk about was the TV series. Has anyone here seen Alphas? Uh, no, I know of it though. No. Alphas was a good show. Unfortunately, it ended at season two, and they ended on a major cliffhanger. And it's like, God damn it! Why didn't Why didn't they do one more season? But one of the main characters in that one, his superpower basically is he has serious anger management issues, and the more angry he gets, the more his adrenaline pumps, and he gets super strong. And I really wonder if, if maybe the makers of that show were familiar with Dark Man, because that's kind of, awesome. it is yeah. very similar. But that, that, show was, that show was interesting in that every character had a power that in some way was offset by a psychological default, if you will. Like, a, um, like the character who could literally pull anything out of the ether because he could see internet waves was heavily autistic and very, you know, like high-functioning autistic, but was, you know, so a lot of, it, a lot of these characters, they, they had actual, like, psychological or physiological issues tied to their superpowers, which I thought was a really fun twist for the show. It but was actually, uh, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four actually makes that explicit as far as, um, intertwining their powers with their personalities which was uh that was always kind of implicit in the comics they made it a little bit more explicit but still it um that's very much um i think a that's a more common trope in comics than i think you might think it is um although you although, although then again um a lot of the times a character's personality will begin to change around their powers manifesting. Um, but, yeah, it's what you're talking about is more that the powers um, manifest as a result of their personality or their psychological makeup or whatever, which um, 
Yeah, that's definitely an interesting idea, and um, yeah, it's 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 rad. Yeah, I, I think that it's, uh, well, and it's uh, it's something that for sure I think you see that, especially with newer characters. I think you see uh, the different unintended consequences of these powers that they have, mm -hmm. um, whether it's on their bodies or on their emotional states or whatever, because mm -hmm. like. You know, with Superman, for example, there are different um, versions or different iterations of other characters around him where they're like, well, we need to be careful of his mental health and his, uh, you know, figure out which side is on. Because if he were to go nuts or succumb to like the mm. anti-life equation or something like that, then he could be a real danger. And, um, yeah, that's on an extreme level or, you know, even something... Um, you know, very small, where you know, a character who's got fragile emotions, who's also really powerful, they can be a danger to themselves and others, and um, you know, so you definitely see that here, and uh, and actually, um, to thematically tie it together, I think I mentioned uh, Punch Drunk Love in the uh, mm -hmm. Superman episode, which that film and Superman the movie, um, in a way, both are about these people, um, one Kryptonian, one human, who are learning to deal with these very, uh, the, the fragility of their hearts, uh, which are, you know, very human in their functioning, in their ability to feel and relate to people, um, and, uh, you know, it's all about them kind of trying to navigate a world that they don't necessarily relate to fully, and sometimes they can be overcome by those strong emotions, and, uh, you know, it's all about learning to integrate them into their lives, and uh, even with someone like Barry Egan, who doesn't have any powers, he does exhibit some notable uh, strength that he doesn't exhibit in other parts of the film, and so, you know, that's an interesting uh, parallel there, and that's, again, that's on a small level versus Superman, which is a large level, and this is somewhere in between. Yeah, they do a good job of showcasing how it, like, drives them crazy and stuff, too. And, I don't know, I, th I thought the, the in-concept, the character, is pretty well thought out. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I, th I think yeah. you could easily take this same concept and you could, um, it's not even so much technology, because the way that the character's written, like, they, they weren't really, it's not like Spider-Man, where it took them until the age of CGI to do him right in live action, um, and that was what a big limitation was for so long. Um, here, the way that the character is written, they obviously could film everything that they needed to film with him. They didn't have to compromise anything, but I do think that if you were to remake this with perhaps a more consistent tone, a little bit more stylish in its look, a little bit more cohesive, um, then I think you um, would have something that could really use the concept to its fullest potential. Oh, for sure. I, I just look back at the, uh, these films with a little nostalgia, be, uh, because uh, it, it, the first film, of, uh, film uh, retrospectively, it was a darker tone, uh, especially with Sam oh, Raimi yeah. behind it. And the thing is, as the character developed, it, it developed uh, its own 
cognitive sense of humor. And, uh, I mean, especially in the uh, in the, the two films afterwards. But that yeah. humor wasn't necessarily established in this first film, and you, you get the tragedy of him losing his 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 ability to be human. You know, and so when Durant takes and destroys his life by uh, by taking his work and all that jazz. It's a, it, it is in a sense a revenge film, you know, a revenge act film. So I, I guess I have a little bit more stronger <laughs> uh, viewpoints on this film because I related to it at the time. <laughs> oh, I love um, it, dude! I mean, it's uh, it's, it's classic <laughs> in my mind. I, I guess it's probably a good time to just bang down the very simple plot and then go scene for scene and talk about how you guys felt about that shit. Uh, basically, general story is, you know, there's this guy, Trask, who's like this corrupt developer, and he's working with, you know, uh, Larry Drake's character. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, the scientist, Liam Neeson's character, Peyton Westlake, is dating this girl who's like a lawyer, played by Frances McDormand. She has some document that ties Trask to paying off, you know, the, what was it, building commission or something? Standard wise guys type stuff. And he obviously doesn't want this getting out. So she stashes it in Liam Neeson's shit. That's the one part of Darkman I've never really understood. I mean, she basically Uh gets him screwed over. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure whether the relationship with the the, uh, developer started before or after uh, I don't know. After he he pretty quick, so. Yeah, uh, so um, that really isn't established. So I guess you can tell he was after kind of her before, but... Yeah, he wanted a piece yeah. from the get go, but she just kind of <laughs> went with it. I guess after yeah. all was said and done, because he made it look at first like uh, friggin' Durant was like strong arming him too. Mm-hmm. So he was like a competitor. That's what he told her at first. So she didn't believe that he had anything to do with it. Still don't understand why she stashed it in Peyton's stuff. How friggin' Durant even knew to come to the lab to look for it. Did she tell them? How the hell that... Right. It's a bit of a plot hole. But they basically show up at his lab. They kill his poor mm-hmm. Asian assistant. The guy seemed really cool mm-hmm. and like he probably had some good kung fu moves, but he didn't get to really use them. Uh, <laughs> and you know they boil his face. Yeah. There's some sweet evil dead effects when his hands melt after he grabs like oh, those yeah. the contact things for the electricity, I guess. And you know they blow him up with one of those little sippy birds, a lighter mm-hmm. and some type of flammable gas. Mm-hmm. I want you guys think that. that whole scene. That was an excellent little flourish to the mm-hmm. kind of campiness of. Of a of a good comic book movie, it's actually something I kind of miss from uh, a lot of the current comic book movies. Is almost that campy, almost serial uh, serial nature of the comic book uh, genre, to where it, it ta- takes itself seriously, but not a hundred percent. It's just like His... Tim Burton's Batman. Tim Burton's Batman took itself seriously, but not. A hundred percent. Right. There was always that slight camp there. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just such a charm to it. I, I love this move because of the charm. And just seeing the little bird thing uh, go bending over and then like activating the lighter. I just, I, I don't know. I just feel it's great. <laughs> oh, I love it. For some, it's 100%. for some reason, his blow up scene kind of reminds me of the beginning of uh, Deadpool 2. 
uh, just for some reason, where where Deadpool is kind of going through that whole blow up scene of his own, you know. <laughs> except uh, he's holding on to uh, a Wolverine statue that I don't think Darkman would hold on to very lightly. <laughs> <laughs> He's in more pieces than Darkman was uh, when he was blown out of the building. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing he went through that roof and out into the water, like, completely intact. Right. The that Darkman has that uh, isn't gone over as much in the first film is he does have heightened regeneration abilities. Oh, well, yes. there you go. Uh, uh, because of that... Um... Now, uh, that nerve yeah. being snapped, yeah. it, 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 it's the adrenaline rush that's rushing through yeah. the body that strengthens him more. So it's almost like whatever they did uh, in the hospital, it's like uh, they, they made him stronger, you know? Well, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be regeneration. Am I correct? Because, I, again, I haven't seen the sequels. But I'm guessing that all that stuff with them pushing him into the vat and everything was supposed yeah. to kind of alter him slightly uh, <laughs> they don't really go like you said I didn't see that huge amount of it in the first film but well, it would make sense to me a lot of films back in the 90s often did uh, did a lot of things that stem back to okay it happened because of toxic waste <laughs> <Anyway. laughs> toxic yeah. Avenger was such a fun one because it kind of made fun of that concept yeah <laughs> It all comes back to sludge. A Joker origin. Yeah, friggin' Durant collects the fingers too. It's not just like some type of intimidation tactic because he's like, get the Asian's fingers as they're leaving. He's an awesome character. He's a better villain than the main villain. Yeah, all that guy's skill was just walking around on beams, I guess. Uh, <laughs> that would be awesome to talk about that when we get to it. <laughs> oh, jeez, yeah, that rivet gun. Um, the next oh, yeah. scene that we're treated to is that awesome fade to the funeral, which I just love that mm -hmm. transition for some reason. And then we see that he's in this burn unit, and this lady's, like, taking the kids. They're showing him the kids. They're adults. The kids. <laughs> <laughs> Just taking it's the kids on the burn unit. Um, no, she's taking the medical students through, and she's showing, showing him uh, Peyton there and his thing that spins for some reason. I don't know the medical benefit to that, but I love how she sticks him with the pen to make a point. That's kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, you know, escapes from there and heads back. Well, that, that's kind of a common comic booky trope too, of like the doctors that are not. They're more interested. Yeah, they're more interested in the uh, research side of things than the actual healing side of things. Yeah, she's pretty cold. I guess Kathy yeah. Bates was experimenting on wrong. Yeah, I would have loved to see Kathy Bates in that role, but oh, whatever. Yeah, it would have been great. <laughs> but uh, that's that's about it for that. Wasn't this, the same, wasn't this the same year that Misery came out? I think it was. It's 1990, so. Yeah. Uh, hold on, I'll go, I'll go grab my copy to check. Yep, yep, same year. Uh, yep. Yep, that would have been appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, yeah. Uh, I don't know, then after that, that's when he goes out and scares friggin' Julie looking like a homeless mutant. And 
he decides to go back to his lab after spending a really painful looking night in a soggy box that's pretty quickly blown away and then he's just mm-hmm. so uh, we get to see some good action of apparently you know they're always being trench coats and trash cans I've noticed that in a lot of movies <laughs> just, yeah. pulling a trench coat out of a trash can who's throwing these away I don't know uh, I mean really and as iconic as it is, we don't get to see where he gets his hat, I don't think. He's just wearing it when he's pushing all that gear back to his new lab after yeah. he goes to the old one, and it's it's basically trashed. And this is probably, I think, I think, think what... I, I feel like Liam Neeson said in the interview I watched that they almost literally went dumpster diving, not like in a real dumpster, but like just old costumes no one was using anymore. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's kind of... Uh, but yeah, yeah, huh? So that trench coat probably appeared in a couple, like a movie or something. Then, yeah. Um, Donna, what do you guys think of his little his little lab that he sets up there in that whole? Well, it's an abandoned building uh, uh, that, uh, that he goes yeah, to. That uh, is cool. Uh, I think it's a remarkable job for assembling that out of uh, scratch, basically. You <laughs> did yeah. a remarkable job. It's impressive. It's definitely their nod to, like, Frankenstein and stuff, too. That right. Uh, well, there's some visual cues in there that are supposed to be direct references, but I wasn't paying attention this time on that level to have noticed anything like that. It just generally gave me Frankenstein vibes, so mission well, accomplished. Okay. He gave me Frankenstein vibes with a little bit of Hulk and uh, a little bit of the mummy uh, with his wraps. Yeah. So, so right. to me, uh, 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 to me that, uh, that that is the quintessential. I, I, I just love his old get up. You know, it's it's uh, something different, and I, th- I think it, it it stands out in the superhero community. Yeah, and I mean, he throws on the hat and the coat. He's got the shadow vibes going a little bit. There's just something yeah. awesome about someone running in like a trench coat. That's mm-hmm. cool, especially on rooftops, you know. Uh, so basically, you know, in this scene, he's trying to crack this 99-minute limit on the skin. Yeah, uh, they figured out before he got all fucked up that darkness is pretty much the reason why it can go beyond that. But yeah. you know, and in, in a in light. It, it melts after that time limit. And he's not successful at breaking it, you know, but he still makes up a, a little kit to go out there, and I think he goes and sees Julie before he really starts killing the dudes, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, he's only made uh, made the 99 minute, uh, minute thing, which is why it carries over into the second uh, film mm-hmm. uh, uh, with, with that. So, uh, uh, to, uh, to me, I think it, it uh, works well for the film uh, as it stands, uh, that he's only able to wear uh, certain faces a certain amount of time, you know? Yeah, it's cool. Like Dane said, it's a good, a good mm-hmm. taking time bomb sort of device there where it's yeah. like, uh, you got you to gotta beat that clock. Yeah, um, well, honestly, the superhero, as cool as a superhero's powers might be or his look... Uh, what's even more important is the limitations or the obstacles, whether that's great villains or <coughs> powers that have a uh, double-edged sword attached to them or, you know, powers that are really more like debilitations or whatever. Um, and I think that 
that's always um, a sign of a great hero when their limitations are very, um, you know, interesting. And um, sorry, to, sorry to have to do this to everybody. I'm really, really tired. I've got an early uh, work-related phone call tomorrow, and I did barely slept at all last night. I don't really have a lot more to add, so I'm going to say goodnight to people. Um, I'm uh, Dane Carl, a.k.a. Dane Diamond on YouTube. I'm on Indie Horror Film Creative, where I do a show called The Reviews, and I do unboxings and some reviews and things, trying to get my filmmaking going again. Uh, it's rather hard during a pandemic, but uh, yeah, I don't really have much to add, so that's why I'm having to duck out early. But uh, good seeing everybody, and have a yeah. good night. Yeah, have a good night, bud. Hello. All right. Um, well, actually, in the last discussion uh, we just did on Shazam, that was a good example of a limitation. Like, I again, Shazam, he's magic. He can do anything he wants. But he's really a kid. So that's a big limitation there. Like, emotionally, mentally, there's a limitation. So, yeah, it is interesting to see, like, even when a character who theoretically is all powerful has that little yeah, that it's little neat. It adds for some cool stuff in the movie. They kind yeah. of shoot it right in the foot, though, with the fact that later we're shown that he's got masks to spare. I mean, he could just be carrying one in the briefcase, throw it on the restroom, and like swap it out. Right. You know, um, right. When he first starts using the masks, if you masks, whatever you want to call them, it's very creative. I like the way that that one dude. I, I can't remember what he reminded me. He reminded me so much of. Um, oh, I can't place it now, but <laughs> dude, he the way he uh, just plays him. Like, without even the guy not even knowing it. He's asleep the whole time. But that was just a great little... Oh, that was awesome. That, that whole scheme there, too, was just great. Like, mm -hmm. freaking them out. Uh, but that scene where he goes and sees her at the graveyard and then they have lunch or whatever is pretty fucking yeah. terrible. Uh, that's where you're really slammed with the, damn, these guys have no chemistry at all. And this is yeah. yeah. What happened to this? Like, the whole tone of it feels different, and then we get another dose of it later with the, when they go to the fair. Um, oh, yeah. But I think it goes without saying that this, this part of the movie probably sticks out to anyone that watches it, and not for good reasons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think after that's when, you know, he starts going on his revenge spree there. The first dude he just kind of gets by chance. He's, <laughs> uh, he's spying on Julie like a badass vent creature. I love that part. And <laughs> Ted Raimi's character there, and he takes him out, and you know he does the little sewer interrogation on yeah. him. Which is awesome. I'm pretty sure there's more effects to it that we didn't get to see because the studio like got nervous, I guess, when they saw some of the stuff that they wanted to do. Uh, so, it'd be cool to see the full cut of this one. I think the description was, uh, Raimi says something like, some of the wilder stuff we wanted to do this studio. Right. <laughs> I guess there's also a deleted scene where the guy with the prosthetic leg gets killed with the prosthetic leg by Darkman, and they had to delete that as well. Really? Yeah, oh. that would have been 
because I, I didn't even notice it, but apparently he's the only one of like Durant's crew that actually survives the movie. He didn't, but we just don't see his death, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is where he's like, hell yeah, I'm going to start staking these guys out and getting pictures of them and making masks, and he kills the bald guy indirectly. Which, I, go ahead. Which is amazing, because in the second film, he's like got all these Druze that have apparently have been loyal to him all these years. <laughs> you know? So you almost wonder, wonder where, where the hell they all come from. Uh, yeah, Durant. Yeah. Uh, Supposedly all of his uh, guys were killed here. Where the hell did he get the men? Oh, well, I mean... They were, they were all on vacation. This was his temporary crew. Uh, well, as we know, the film takes place over the course of, I think it's like 23 days or whatever. No, it's got to be longer than that. That's how long it takes him to make his mask, like his face. Yeah. Which then is also kind of a bit of a plot hole, because if it takes that long to make it, how does he just cranking out those other ones? Um, anyways, yeah. he disguises himself as the bald dude, goes and inherits a couple of, you know, shipments of cash over the course of the, that whole sequence. Oh. And so we don't really get to see the benefits of that either. I would imagine, like, he's going to upgrade the lab or something with that later. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, you know, basically he does all this after breaking into the dude's hotel room or whatever and chloroforming him and then making it look like he's going to take a trip with Ted Raimi's character, who he'd already killed and they're looking for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Durant and them come there and we get the whole have a nice flight scene where they chuck his ass out the window <laughs> after they see the plane tickets. Right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how they did that. But, but it just was kind of cool, that manipulation of it all. Manipulating <laughs> Durant and his... Uh, just manipulating him in general. Well, I think it does a lot too to not make him seem like just straight up murderous. I mean, because even though we didn't see the end results, Ted Raimi's death is pretty hardcore, and yeah. him doing it a little more finesse on the 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 second kill, if you will, kind of made it seem like he wasn't all gone. You know, he was actually still a pretty smart dude. Because uh, that's a pretty ingenious scheme to think up there. You know. What are your thoughts, Dustin? On uh, the different skills? Yeah. Had good variety. I was sort of hoping I was sort of hoping hearing the play by play would like jog my memory a little bit more than um, well than it is. Mm-hmm. So uh, Fair enough. I, I mean it- you know, the, after this, I think the only real kill sequence we get outside of Durant himself yeah. is where they come to his warehouse. <clears throat> I remember, the, I remember the thing with Durant. I think that was probably my favorite scene uh, when he somehow tricks the helicopter into flying into that wall, and then the wreckage <laughs> is just a thousand percent on fire. Yet Durant somehow survives that for the next movie. Like, yeah. a little too fast and loose with that. <laughs> For sure. Well, the way they play that out... Uh, Actually, I think I just made myself out on the Shazam episode. <laughs> the way they play that out is apparently he's, like, in a coma. Uh, oh, sure, sure. <laughs> Giant fireball <laughs> equals coma. That's what yeah. Yeah, Didn't how, did he, how did he survive that? That was just, like... He right? Was, 
careening headlong into a bridge with a helicopter. It just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I love the scene with the helicopter. The action in this film is really well done. Good. I always, I oh, always thought it was well handled. And two scenes in particular, the helicopter scene and the scene at the end with the final villain fight. It was... I thought, I don't know what it was, just seeing him, like, shooting that rivet gun, and the villain, I, I gotta give him this, of course, he comes across just basically as, you know, your typical 2D, scummy, capitalist asshole, mm -hmm. uh, which seems to be prevalent as a villain in, in most films of the time, but he was intelligent enough to say, I've got to fight this guy who's stronger than me. But I'm going to make sure that I fight him on my ground. With mm -hmm. his history and just architecture and building. That he was able to say, yeah, I can keep my footing here. I've been doing this stuff for years. But you, you haven't done this stuff for years. You're a scientist. Mm -hmm. I got you where I want you. And that's just uh, that's just excellent. There, I mean, oh, it's fantastic. The whole backstory of hand to the wall, all yeah, that stuff. That's oh, amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, that whole backstory. I mean, the dude is super two dimensional until you find out that, like, oh shit, this guy's dad used to make him go up there with the Indians. He says to work on the high steel as like a little kid. Uh, so, you know, you get this sense of like he had a pretty terrible life, and that's probably why he's such a scumbag. You know. Oh, um, so well, maybe the flesh is not a little bit more, but we get a little inkling of that there's, like, a cool backstory there. It doesn't really matter, because he dies. <laughs> well, maybe he comes back, too. If Durant could survive that, I'm sure he's in a comic book somewhere or something. <laughs> right. He just uh, took a, a rather large uh, bump to the head when he fell off of the building and landed face first. And right. uh, it put him into a coma, as you would, you know, if you're falling. Uh, yes. <laughs> forgotten the high steel days of his youth you know bounce back from anything well he does seem pretty hard-headed mm. <laughs> um, and we get we arrive there pretty quickly after the the bald dude scene you know because after that julie blows the whole thing and so does friggin trask like he's like oh it appears she's found our scheme because i left the fucking document just laying on the desk when i was talking to her um <laughs> But, you know, that's how they find out that he's alive, basically. Um, I, I do like how she just, like, walks, is getting, like, edging out of the room, and he says, well, I'm not going to kill you. She's like, well, if you're not going to kill me, I'm going to go. I gotta... <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, so after that, basically, because she spilled the beans to him before learning this, that, you know, friggin' uh, Peyton's alive, yada yada. And she can't see him anymore. And he's like, oh, girl, we done got dirty with it pretty much already. So, uh, And right after that, they tail her back to his warehouse lair. And we get the cool scene where he's like running no! around while they're launching grenades at his ass and shit. And he's jumping all over the place. And there's explosions. And then he lures the dudes into his lair and like swaps masks on him. I love that part where he's got the mask on it, on the dude to look like him. Or I forget how exactly that sequence goes. There's like a mask over a mask over the, oh, on yeah. the guy's face. 
and he has yeah. gets sets it up so the other dude shoots him and then pulls off the masks and he's like oh no it was my friend well, and, and you forget you forget that there's some uh, foreplay a, a, a little bit there, there where he he's like kind of like he show, uh, shows up and he's got like got the uh, the mask of the one dude and he's like <gasps> Uh, 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 how about you? Uh, uh, how about a nightmare? <laughs> yeah, it, it's great, dude. Oh, and the whole part where he's like running from the, that first guy, and you know he's lured him deeper in there, and he's all hiding in the shadows and shit. And that guy's like, "Where are you?" Or whatever, and he just whispers, "Close." You know, like that's such a good bone showing touch. Uh, and then he comes at him down from the ceiling, puts the masks on him. You guys, the other guy shoot him, and then he shows up with that guy's face which is just a great scene I, I don't know why i like that where he's like smiling all maniacally at the dude while wearing his face uh, and that fella, he pretty much you know kicks the shit out of him and sets it up so that he dies the same way that they tried to kill him with the sippy bird and the flammable gas the lighter the whole nine nine yards but with a twist uh he does the holographic projection of it so the dude makes it over there and thinks he's gonna save himself but then obviously you know it's not the real one and the shit goes up in flames as he is hanging from a friggin' helicopter. And that is one of the greatest sequences in the entire movie. Uh, it's got some humor in there. And <laughs> pretty sure they nearly killed that fellow that they were dangling from that helicopter. <laughs> yeah. uh, what are you guys' thoughts on that whole sequence there? Well, that was, uh, that, that was my favorite. <laughs> that whole sequence was pretty fun because... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, they they pretty much drag him across uh, across like the entire city, and, and there's a police helicopter that follows uh, follows in pursuit, and they're like, "What the hell is that?" You know, well we're just gonna follow it anyways, uh, and you you don't really get to see what hap happens in that part play, but uh, you, you know uh, he gets like swung into a, a building, and he's like, "Oh, sorry." Yeah, that's great. <laughs> They're dipping him down on the highway, and he has to, like, see... Okay, here's a thing, too. Maybe other people don't think about, but he shows some super speed in this mm -hmm. sequence, too, when he's running all fast across the top of that truck. So I think mm -hmm. the adrenaline doesn't just work when he's angry. It also maybe works when he's scared. And it's mm -hmm. it's pretty, pretty humorous, too. Uh, oh, we forget about the uh, the moment when he's uh, sitting down, uh, down in front of Hung Fat, He's uh, trying to tell him to give him the mo money from that whatever account or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's the second briefcase of money. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, they do end up giving it to him, and then we have the whole great scene where they're in the revolving door, and he's like, shoot him, no, shoot him. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that, you know, eventually leads to, you know, where we're at here with the helicopter scene and stuff. It's probably one of the better scenes in the movie, too. I like how he's like, cuts the cigar in half. Yeah. He's like, tells him straight up, yeah, until, you know, this is done with to get me the money, and then he burns his hand. Like, it feels like something the real Durant would do. I was going to say, that was, like, really a great impression of the guy that he did. It just showed the, it showed how the guy actually developed that, that he really becomes a, just anybody, which is mm -hmm. And that's something that I don't think we touched on, the fact that he can assume identities. You know, uh, assume any identity for them. Yeah, like, there's that part where he's listening to the recording he took of the dude's voice, and then he's able to eventually... Yeah, and he got it. 
exactly right the right tone and all that jazz that, that never really explained you know what did it uh, how's that work how's that factor into this whole deal i don't know but it's neat you know uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and then you know eventually in you know to close out durant's awesome run in this i still feel like it was an awesome death but i don't know they should have done something different with it if they were going to bring him back. I don't think they mm-hmm. need to. Though. But uh, yeah. he hooks the cable of the helicopter to the truck, and you know, they get pulled into a bridge there. And then <laughs> kind of like throw a curveball at you because in the next scene, you know, he's doing his Durant thing again, meeting up mm-hmm. with uh, Trask, who mm-hmm. uh, Julie hostage or whatever, mm-hmm. and. You know, still, even though I've seen this movie, like every time it takes me back a bit to see him so quickly, right after you know that he was just blown to bits. Moments <laughs> in the movie where people would have been like, What the fuck? You know, it's pretty quickly revealed that it's dark man. Well, obviously, know. he could survive it. I mean, he did. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that you know that was pretty smart on Trask's part. He picked up on the fact that obviously this dude can be anybody pretty quick. So he you know kind of flushes him out with the whole comment about his kids and whatnot. And then we get the awesome rivet gun fight. Lots of swinging pulleys and things like that. Dude's falling off of buildings. Uh, I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on that as a finale to this shit? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I guess that uh, that, that kind of harkens uh, forwards a little bit to what was uh, uh, what was it uh, was it uh, Spider-Man Three, where they, uh, they were around some similar they were fighting on unfinished building with Sandman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, to, uh, to me, uh, to me, that uh, that just personifies uh, some of the uh, that you know action-esque. It's um, a great setting for a final battle. Uh, I mean, you know, if you don't spend your youth working the high steel, it's, it's still a good place. You know? you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of something like Final Fight. You really expect for like one villain to be the villain at the end of the beat em up and then you come in and you find out this other villain is the main villain, right. and he's kicking your butt even though you don't really, you didn't think he could actually kick your butt. And that was, uh, that's, uh, it's almost a video game-like quality to it, but it was just, to me, it was just awesome. Awesome action. <laughs> and good cheesy that he took to it. It's classic supervillain shit where he's like, come work for me. You can even have Julie if you want her as part of the deal, you know? Uh, <laughs> and he really is kind of kicking his ass, and they're whipping the shit out of him. He gets that one dude pretty good with the pulley, and at least makes it a one-on-one fight. But friggin' Trask or whatever, uh, or Strax, excuse me, um, he's, he's giving him a run for it, but then he makes, you know, a classic supervillain mistake, gets a little long-winded when he has his hand riveted to the steel, and pays for it pretty hard. Uh, I don't know, I think it's, like, a good final battle in terms of shit like that. The addition of that guy having, like, this background in high steel and being real nimble up there was cool. Uh, there are parts of it where it looks like it may have been somewhat legitimately dangerous what they were doing to shoot it. And mm-hmm. I love, absolutely love that ending where he's all cocky, hanging by his ankle there. And he's like, you don't got it in you to kill me. It's not something you can live with or whatever. And <laughs> he just drops him without saying a word. There's no like, 
dramatic like, response from Darkman. He just drops his ass. <laughs> I don't know where he got that as a psychological profile. It's like, what movie were you watching? Killing <laughs> 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 people left and right. Well, I, I yeah, think responsible of, for several murders of people you're associated with. <laughs> Right? <laughs> this guy is literally okay with killing you! <laughs> and then, you know, his consolation prize is Julie, and understandably, he turns it down. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame him from what I understand about the situation anyways. Well, it's a, it's sort of a cool commentary on the character there at the end, where he's... Ba it's basically like he's become something through this tale of revenge here that mm -hmm. he's got to learn to live with and he's never going to be able to be mentally sound Peyton is dead you know so it's yeah. the amusement park date scene which we didn't really touch on but I think it really does spell it out the amusement well. park scene was interesting because that's when you got the, uh, the, the I'm, uh, uh, I'm angry you won't like me when I'm angry moment uh, with oh, yeah. this his Hulk scene where where he's uh, he's getting mad because he clearly won the bear and the uh, dude elephant sir party so obviously elephant sir obviously he's not going to give it to him he, he's like give me the damn I don't know what that guy's problem was like <laughs> are you you really going to just fight with this random I think he just thought he looked like a nerd and could embarrass him or something but after his fingers. Well, yeah, that's that's yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna give him his best uh, stuffed animal. Well, it wasn't that cool. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, like mid-tier friggin' prize, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. That finger snap, dude. That still always makes me wince when I watch. Yeah, that that was pretty pretty intense. I better uh, wish you actually gave him the uh, elephant at the end. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> it's. I don't know, that's another one of those scenes, though, like the graveyard scene and the whole shit that follows that just feels so out of place because they have no chemistry and it feels like super, yeah. you know, I don't know, they were just going super camp with it, it felt like. And from what I read about them rewriting their scenes or whatever, they took a lot from their theater background, so I don't know yeah. if that has something to do with the vibe of certain scenes between the two, but... It's simultaneously like kind of one of my favorite scenes in the movie because of the finger snap, but then also <laughs> one where I'm like, ugh, <laughs> again. I understand why they have, I mean, it has a good purpose for being in there because it does establish the end, the ending, basically. He's got to go away. He, he figures it out after that moment like, crap, I can't get a control on my emotions. This isn't going to work. Correct, and, and uh, it's a pivotal moment where, where he realizes that he's he's no longer the same person. You know, yeah, he's not fighting with control anymore. anymore. Correct. So he's just a man who loses his cool. Yeah, <laughs> 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 random carnies terrifying uh, <laughs> his girlfriend. I love how she screams and the dude screams. It's great. I love the uh, I love the effect they use for when he has his rage fits. Like, doesn't it, oh, like, yeah. show, like, a close-up of his bloodstream or something? And yeah. He's like, yeah. Ah! <laughs> I like how the scenery cracks. Like, has, like, red, like, cracks in it as it's going. That's really cool. Yeah, it was, it was a good way to visually, like, personify the anger, you know? Uh, 
so I guess this is a good point to talk about. You know, if you guys want to throw out a favorite character and a favorite scene, then we can. Uh, I guess I up. guess I would have to say Durant is like my favorite character uh, of, the, of the entire. Uh, I mean, yeah, because because his character kind of builds over time, even into the second film, and I, I just love. Uh, I just love that actor. You know, you know he's. He's, uh, Larry Drake is an interesting character. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of underrated, I would say, as in terms of just being a good actor for bone-showing shit. Um, yeah, he's definitely, like, the movie might not be as iconic as it could be, but I would say he's an iconic villain in, in his own right, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, what about you there, Jake? You got a favorite character? Um, I kind of have to agree. Robert G. Durant is a fun character. Um, of course, the main character, Peyton, is, is a pretty good character, too. But uh, Durant's probably the most memorable individual character. Mm. Yeah, that'd definitely be my quick vote, too, favorite character. Yeah. What about you, Brandon? Oh, Durant's uh, easily. Um, he's just such a fun villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's just fun to watch it. And uh, I, my favorite scene is uh, is that scene at the end when they're he's fighting the like last bad guy. It's just such mm-hmm. a cool action scene. Yeah, I think if I had to choose a favorite scene, well, I mean, I'm gonna assume you're who who's your favorite character, Dustin? Well, I'm gonna be different here and like Durant was like a creep and I think my favorite my favorite scene like I said earlier is when Peyton finally defeats Durant and we get that insane helicopter explosion mm-hmm. yeah that's, so, great. that's my take on that like Durant was a great villain uh, but he was just so I did not enjoy the finger chopping. That was, that was too far. <laughs> yeah. It's because uh, they kept, the <laughs> they kept that suitcase full of the finger things. Is why I enjoy his character so much. Uh, it, it, it's like it, it's like character. every time he added to, uh, to mm. the darn thing, it, it was entertaining. Yeah, I love how it, it's true, you know, and he seemed pretty meticulous about his. He was putting some type of solution on the ends where they were severed, and he, he it was a well-maintained finger collection, you know. Uh, <laughs> like, they're going to meet the Chinese guy, and he, he, he doesn't know if the guy's going to pay him or not, but he's like, oh, well, if he doesn't, like, we'll just add him to the collection here. It'd be a nice addition anyways. Like, he's already looking forward to getting the finger, no matter how it turns out, you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think if I had to pick a favorite scene, I mean, all you know, those are great ones. Everything we've talked about is there's a lot of scenes in Dark Man that could be favorites, mm-hmm. but mine's mm-hmm. definitely when he has that freak out and just goes totally insane after he can't crack the time limit on the the, the fake skin, and he's like, "Look at the dancing freak!" and he's dancing around and screaming at the cat. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great moment. Yeah, it's I think one of. <laughs> powerful scenes in the movie. Uh, it's one of the better scenes with the character. Skeleton jaw. That's a good job of testing Lynn Neeson's acting ability, too. Mm-hmm. 
he seemed like he genuinely had fun doing it. And from what I read, you know, he looked at it as a big challenge because the makeup and stuff, which I would imagine right. actor, you know, he was, he should be pretty proud of it. He did a good job. But um, yeah, he said in the interview I saw, he was like, yeah, nowadays I wouldn't want to sit for all that makeup, but at the time it was a little <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, at it, you know, I just love that scene where he's running on the rooftops and stuff. Like, so in terms of visual shit with the explosions and whatnot, that would be a big upvote for me. Just that stuff. Mm-hmm. Trench coat flowing behind him. All great. <laughs> yeah, all right. What about you two? You, Jake and Dave, you guys got a favorite scene? Um, uh, my Favorite scene would probably be. I, I would have to say, uh, uh, say it's the anger moment uh, 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 where he's uh, mad at the pink bear. Um, uh, a moment uh, be, uh, because for uh, some reason that rage that uh, it came to him so, uh, like, and and it went back to his face several times. You know, it was. Made it a good gift. Yeah. So uh, that was uh, that was one of them, and then uh, I think the other uh, other one was finally seeing Durant like die. So. I have to say that scene that I quoted earlier, where he was talking about like, well, you really. Even though the finger cutting thing was pretty disturbing and it made me cringe, it was kind of cool seeing his proper introduction as someone you don't want to mess with. Yeah. I thought that was pretty fun. And um, in that whole, again, some of the early stuff um, that Peyton was doing kind of setting up that one dude to look like he was stealing from the others and 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 and, and that whole I will admit that whole subway thing with Ted Ra- Ted Raimi's character uh, <coughs> disturbed me a little bit. I didn't like it, but it was creative and it was like it was like a cinematic whack-a-mole moment, you know, sort of uh, it was interesting. Um but those are probably the parts that really stuck out the most, I would think. And I have to admit, the very end, even though it was a little cliche, it was one of those things that kind of worked because it was. Right. You know, I mean, like him disappearing into the shadows, saying, you know, all that I am everywhere and all that kind of stuff. It just. It works really well. I liked that as an ending. It's great, and you know, if you're if you're a fan of these people, it's definitely I think would be a nostalgia moment for this movie for yeah. all of us. Even if you didn't kind of grow up on it, it's like, oh, it's Bruce Campbell. That just you know warms my heart a little bit. Oh yeah, that was great. That, that so like I said, I 
I can't help but seeing that as a little bit of an FU to the studio, and I like that. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think the, the main areas where the movie falls short is the chemistry between him and friggin' Jimmy! And, you know, just the fact that they, they cut out some special effects, for sure. I'd like to see a full cut of this eventually, because they exist. Uh, we, we know from the statements that they made, so and the special effects that are in the movie are pretty great. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe one day when they do a Criterion Darkman set, yes. they'll have the full uh, set. And just um, mute every time that he screams Julie. Be <laughs> I could see Arrow doing a set, too. They should. Someone I could see Arrow doing a set. The shot selector really see Arrow doing it, because uh, it would be Region B, and I don't want that. I could see I could see Shout Selector on the other two. Uh, yeah. on there. I know Shout double pack. I know Shout has done at least one of the sequels. Oh, they've done all three of them? The collector's edition was the first one. I can't remember if two and three were all that fancy or not. I don't but, think they were. Yeah. They definitely it would be nice if they did like a complete collection where it was like all the special features of the first one and then some and yes if there was a rainy cut you know <laughs> we got we almost went down that rabbit hole again with Shazam with all that Snyder cut talk but what about the rainy cut of dark seriously <laughs> give it right um and I don't know I guess music, it is by Danny Elfman it yes the music was great yeah, it's it's good. I don't know if it's his best stuff, but he definitely seemed like he had a lot of fun doing it from what I read. Like and he it really liked working with Sam Raimi, so that's it good. definitely channeled a lot of the stuff he was doing at the time. Like this was the same year as Edward Cesarians. It was the year after Batman. And there's definitely notes of both of those scores in this one. Right. And, yeah. Oh, what was that we were talking about John Williams the other day? What the yeah. Hell? You guys were talking about how it was like a good score, but maybe not as good as his other stuff. And it, yeah, for Superman. You know, I love yeah. the score that Danny Elfman came up with for this one. Oh, yeah, it was great. Oh, yeah. But yeah, having not grown up with this one, but having grown up with Batman and Edward Scissorhands, I, it's the same thing. I would not be able to listen to this and immediately pick it out as, right. oh, that's Darkman. But I would probably listen and go, well, that's a pretty great Danny Elfman score. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm sure someone who did grow up with this one is their main one. They'd probably go, oh, yeah, that's an iconic score, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's not bad by any means at mm -hmm. all. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, but that's that's about all I have on, on this movie. I mean, it's, it's fun. I definitely, obviously, have revisited it several times and would recommend it to friends. It's a pretty uh, awesome movie. I I've revisited it from time to time too. And if I had it on the the whole series on VHS as I do on DVD, I enjoyed it uh, tremendously as a child. I still I still enjoy the story today. Even though, yeah, as an adult, I noticed the chemistry is not there <laughs> between certain actors. Yeah. But uh, yeah. 
it is what it is. like those DCU movies, it, sometimes you can't get caught up in the imperfections, and, and right. you can just sit back and enjoy the ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's fairly easy to do that with Darkman. You can just, like, you know, like, for example, uh, you could look at, like, comparing it to, say, the first couple of X-Men movies. If you kind of ignore Halle Berry's performance as Storm, they're a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> I would actually I would actually welcome a remake of yes. Um, yeah. For yeah. sure. I would love to see where they could take it, how dark they could ta- take it, and Shoot. still keep the, the humor to it, you know? They could do a fourth one. They could just say, say you know, we're going to keep going with it. Uh, sci-fi yeah. could take it up. I mean, shoot, this is ripe for a sci-fi well, series. There was uh, a, a a pilot TV, a TV episode that evidently oh. was made with Robert uh, with uh, with the dude playing Robert <laughs> Durant. Um, <laughs> that must have either aired or unaired, uh, but it was in 1992. And it was like a half-hour episode or uh, whatnot. But other mm. than that, I, I, I think uh, it was death in the water. Yeah, so, it didn't matter. But it would be cool no matter which way they wanted to bring it back. I think it's kind of sad mm-hmm. that Darkman got left in the 90s because uh, in terms of like an original modern comic character, it's, mm-hmm. oh, it's yeah. good stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I could even see, uh, see them redoing like The Shadow. Uh, at this point in time, too. Oh, I love that movie so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh shoot! Uh, they could do they could do another reboot of the Spirit. I feel like the Spirit was kind of mistreated in its movie, though. I do feel like it's. I actually, I thought it was underrated. Here too, here too. People people dump on that movie more than it deserves to be. And uh, believe it or not, th- uh, there was an earlier uh, the Spirit. So, uh, so it, 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 it was a, it was a readaptation of, of that film. That was actually one of the first, if memory serves, if I'm remembering correctly, the spirit and Spike Jones is where the wild things are. I think were my first two Blu-rays. Wow. I think so. I think those were the two I started with. Just like I started my DVD collection, if I remember correctly, with X-Men and American Beauty. Uh, I actually do remember these things. I started my VHS collection with Robin Hood Men in Tights. Characters like this. Well, I started my DVD collection with Goldmember, so... That's okay. Actually, I started my Blu-ray collection with BBC Planet Earth, so I can't really... Uh, yeah. I think I did mine correct. That's but, a good uh, one, yes. I'm not even sure what the first thing in my Blu-ray collection was. It might have been Braveheart, actually. Yeah, in fact, Sam, Sam Jones, Sam Jones played, played uh, Flash Gordon in the 80s. He played the original mm-hmm. The Spirit. Mm. I actually, I actually think all of these. I'm gonna goes with them. I'm kind of dying, so I'm gonna bow out. But uh, final, oh, my, final thoughts, my final thoughts on Dark Man is it's awesome, and you should definitely give it a shot, especially if you like an earlier 
type of superhero movie aesthetic. Like it's very, it's very a product of its time. Uh, mm-hmm. It feels kind of like it feels kind of similar in tone to me as the West Craven Swamp thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like kind of a quick and dirty superhero movie. While superhero movies were trying to find their legs, kind of as a genre, but it works much better than that, and it's definitely worth your time. So, all right, I'm out. Okay. All right. All right. Well, watch Crypt of Horrors. <laughs> all right. I didn't realize Swamp Thing was the last Craven. Is that what, that's the one we're doing next week, isn't it? Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I believe that was my other submission. I think so. Both of yours got like uh, got like held up, and uh, I was able to finagle a deal to uh, get our kaiju uh, stuff up for and a couple other Facebook things. But we'll talk about that at the end. Um, yeah, actually, I was going to say to me, though, Dark Man doesn't have quite the same origins as far as going all the way back to those days as some of the others. To me, that's the group he fits in. He fits in perfectly with characters like the spirit, the shadow, the phantom. He just, to me, he just fits in perfectly with those characters. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's great too that it's it's got those universal monsters kind of elements to it, and it was you know done for Universal. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. kind of a little fate there uh, that just managed to work out really good for Ted or Sam Raimi. <clears throat> He's a lucky man, and he, he did a good job on this. So. Uh, I don't know if, if any of you guys have anything else to say. Announce the time. Uh, I think we can wrap this this guy up here. I just think uh, this is a great series. I mean, uh, to uh, to me, I don't think that this series should be just le- uh, left dead like in the nineties. I think uh, oh, uh, I, I think it's well overdue for uh, for a, re- a remake. In fact, I'd welcome it uh, and. Uh, I just want people to go out see this movie. I guess I actually really love oh, love this movie. I, I, I love it more than I actually thought. You know, mm-hmm. so, it's fun. Uh, that's uh, that's something that I found uh, found out and realized while I was watching it last night. I was like, I'm really enjoying going back to this. <laughs> it's a great uh, watch with your friends kind of affair too you know because it's oh, just yeah. it, it moves along nicely there's stuff in it you can laugh at and kind of make fun of a little bit well and i it's, it's I just got, absolutely awesome it's got all i got a, i got into the laugh that uh that uh the the, the guy who replaced uh liam neeson uh, the, the laugh that he created uh afterwards uh, i mean <laughs> you know oh, yeah. uh, of course then again uh, I also remember him as the mummy in Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, so well, I, I, I keep thinking that. Uh, <laughs> he had a fan of the opera quality to him, the guy from the sequels did. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well, uh, in any case, uh, shall we do our outros? All right. Sounds okay. good. Um, who wants to start? I'll go, I guess. Uh, mostly I do videos for my channel, Drunken Master Studios. We're working hard over there to get some kaiju reviews out of stuff that we are going to be covering during our kaiju month. 
So pop on over there and check those out. Also got a couple horror reviews that I did recently. Uh, unfortunately, some of the stuff you're going to have to get redirected to my internet archive for, but I assure you it's worth the minor inconvenience of doing that to check that stuff out. It's going to be a fun journey. Got a review for Godzilla versus Biolante and Gamera versus Gauss coming out in the next couple of days, so look forward to that. That's it. Alrighty, what about you, uh, uh, Brandon? Well, uh, of course, I'm Septim Sen of Septim Sen versus the World. Uh, we love all things physical media. We pick ups, reviews, uh, we talk about new cinema, and we do some fun stuff with the vlogcast. Of course, upcoming, other than a few reviews, we also have our upcoming anime discussion uh, on Higarashi. Which uh, also known as "When They Cry." Uh, oh no, I'm sorry, that title. Who is uh, <laughs> who is there? Uh, who know mostly from the states? There, this is uh, going to be discussed on Monday, so mm -hmm. uh, probably so this upcoming, and it's going to be quite the uh, thing. I've managed to get through the first two seasons, so I just got to get past mm -hmm. those those kind of not so good uh, straggling bits on the third season. <laughs> I've rewatched it all. But uh, it's going to be kind of fun. I think it's going to be really enjoyable to join us. Of course, mm -hmm. I also work with Inside Movies Galore to help with the scheduling. And we have our votes up. So if you... Uh, Follow. I cannot put these polls up on the on the Inside Movies Galore page. They only allow uh, two options for polls on those pages. But if you are following Delusions of Grandeur, and if you are a follower of Inside Movies Galore, you should very well be following that. Uh, you can find the poll there, along with some other outlets. So check it out because we are trying to get our movies together to see what we are going to discuss for Kaiju Combat in August. <laughs> but of course, our superhero summer is not over yet. We have three delectable films coming up uh, for our free show. We are covering, we are covering uh, the two Tiger and Bunny films, which are some anime... Uh, uh, film uh, anime motion pictures that kind of summarize and then go off in a slightly different direction from the main series. So a fun take on uh, a kind of one that, in my opinion, is not talked about as much these days thanks to uh, being overshadowed by others like, say, My Hero Academia. So I'm kind of glad yeah. to see this get some love again. Mm -hmm. uh, and the main film is going to be Swamp Thing, as we were discussing a little bit earlier. So, a lot of fun stuff. Can't wait to see it. Jake? Hi, I'm Kodabuki Jake. I am the co-host on Septum Sin vs. The World. And, as you said, we have got some uh, very intriguing discussion coming up soon. I had hoped to also watch Tiger and Bunny, the series, in preparation for the movie discussion, but 
on top of all of when they cry, I don't know if that's going to happen. But yeah. when they cry is very much a fun way to spend some time. <laughs> so join us for that discussion. And then, yes, like I said, the, the uh, on the next week's one, um, I look forward to discussing the Tiger and Bunny movies. They should be very interesting. And um, I, of course, am also a movie, anime, and generally media collector. Uh, do you have plan to reboot my Kodabuki Jake YouTube channel? It will happen one day. One day, it will happen. Meantime, you can enjoy all the fine channels these other folks have for you. Nah. <laughs> and uh, my name is uh, David Stregi. I am uh, one of the founding fathers of Inside Moves to Work. So well, uh, if you have not listened to us before, welcome to our channel. We are a fun uh, channel that, uh, that loves to discuss films uh, to the very bone deep core of their nature. And uh, we uh, have fun while we're going uh, going about it. I mean, um, we've had quite a journey uh, in levels of filmmaking and uh, uh, some of the aspects of uh, the special effects that sometimes we see and uh, things of that nature. So uh, definitely check out some of our previous discussions. Uh, and uh, follow along with us as we continue our, uh, as Brandon uh, 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 Sin has said, as we continue our superhero journey um, with Swamp Thing and the Tiger and Bunny movies next week. Um, it's going to be an interesting journey because uh, some are definitely out there. So. Um, but uh, I also moonlight under a different channel called Delusions of Grandeur. So definitely go over to that channel, check out some of the videos I have uploaded on some of the stuff in my collection, and uh, just some fun reviews that, uh, that I have of, uh, of uh, different films that I've watched over time and my thoughts on them, uh, and uh, maybe to inspire... Uh, every single one of you to at least go ahead and try them. So, uh, so, um, uh, thank you for listening. Have a great day, evening, and morning, wherever you are. And, uh, definitely stay out of the shadows. For you never know who might be stalking there. <laughs> like, share, and subscribe. Where is everybody on? The dead, Dave. Who is? Everybody, Dave. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead, Dave. What, Todd Hunter? Everybody's dead, Dave. What, Selby? They're all dead. Everybody's dead, Dave. Peterson isn't, is he? Everybody is dead, Dave. Not Chen. Good, Bennett. Yes, Chen, everybody. Everybody's dead, Dave. Rimmer! He's dead, Dave. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead, Dave. <laughs> Wait. Are you trying to tell me everybody's dead? <laughs>